And this is why I specialize so much in intuition because I can see how much it's at the root of everything. So what does that look like in real life? Is whenever a child advocates for themselves or they say a truth about themselves and adults immediately kind of swoop in and say, no, that is not accurate or no, that is not the truth. You know that time when you were a kid and you just had your family and your family was everything. You belong there. You met friends in preschool and they were your crew. Everything was just easy. You belonged. It was fine. But what was that moment, that fork in the road where all of a sudden you realized you felt like an outsider? You didn't really belong where you used to. And it feels kind of weird, right? But it happens. But you wonder, is it your imagination? Is it real? How do you get back in? Or is it right to begin with? Is it an evolution? So you've probably caught yourself saying as an adult, um, why am I dealing with these feelings that feel like middle school? And if the answer is yes, this episode of the Belonging mini series is for you. And personally, if I'm being super real, you know, I love to be super real. I've been way more really real than I ever have on these last few episodes. But I always feel like I have always stuffed those high school feelings of insecurity and not being well-liked when I was in my younger days. I, I really wasn't well-liked. And I kind of stuffed it down so I could just belong as an adult. Oh, I'm a little embarrassed that I just never noticed that I still had those feelings of insecurity and still wanted to be belong and wanted to be liked. Um, but it just felt, I just never noticed it or even acknowledged it as a possibility as an adult. It just felt so juvenile. So today I invited Cindy Robinson, the now three-time guest on Culture Changers podcast, and probably one of the smartest and most intuitively helpful people that I've ever met, who has dedicated her life and practice to helping teens and families with mental health through her podcast, her private factory, her Kid Factory events and education, and the Kid Factory account on Instagram. If you have not subscribed to it, I highly recommend it. Her modern approach to mental wellness, especially with kids and parenting, it always breaks convention at every level and are deeply backed by science, by data, by strong research and a really refreshing point of view. You will be hearing from her more often as I've invited her back to be a guest co-host with me on future mini-series episodes. She's truly something else. I always get some really interesting feedback when she's on the show. But if you haven't already, please go to alisonhair.com and sign up to get my emails where I go deeper on these topics with short, personal, and hopefully insightful notes. And honestly, I love having a direct connection to you. Okay, let's get into my chat with Cindy Robinson about belonging and how our childhood impacts our place in the world and how to return to you. I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on belonging and why is it so hard for adults to feel like they are settled or feel like they don't belong where they should belong. Um, but yeah, the sense of belonging, I mean, it, it's 
first of all, it's one of our um, intrinsic needs as a human being. So we all have three intrinsic needs, and this is based on a lot of science and research by people a lot smarter than me, but they are one, um, to feel that you're living authentically, two, to be accepted by a group, and three, to feel competent at something. Those are your three basic intrinsic needs as a human. So then we're really focusing on the accepted by a group part, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So we all intrinsically need that. That is being human. And then, um, you know, what you said about where does this come, you know, this is seems like it's rooted in childhood. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but I'm thinking I'm 40, I'm going to be 47. Why haven't I figured this out yet? You know, like this, it feels very high school to me, but it probably starts even younger there. Why why doesn't it go away? Well, the trick is um, that you may not be looking at life as forever in evolution. Um, A lot of us do get the message early on, and that's where we're talking about childhood, that uh, you're supposed to reach goals and then you're there and then things are great. Mm. Um, But the reality is the joy is in the striving you know, it is the journey, not the destination. It turns out that's true and not just hokey, cheesy sayings. And so we, but we say we believe it, but we don't really believe it. So we're all looking for this finish line. So, you know, you just may be thinking of this finish line of belonging, but really life is going to be always evolving and new relationships are going to come and go. Um, But where does that feeling of having that investment in belonging in other people having control over that? Mm often is rooted in childhood and that's because that's where attachment starts um do you want me to talk a little bit about what i mean by that okay (laughs) all right so from ages zero to three and there's attachment experts um on this ashley lingerfelt um is a local therapist who really specializes in this so if you get really lit up by this whole attachment bonding (laughs) stuff okay reach out to her but um From ages zero to three, that's really where we're laying the foundation of that intuition that we carry with us forever. Um, That's where we learn rhythms and patterns. That's where we learn how to attach. Um, It's based on like how our caregiver responds to us. It's not one of those things where, you know, if you choose to swaddle or not swaddle, you're either ruining or you're saving Mm -hmm. your baby. It's not that specific, but sort of what is that consistent care that's happening from ages zero to three really sets the tone for how do you self-regulate as well as how do you attach and bond to others. So, you know, unfortunately for a lot of us growing up in that generation of 70s, 80s babies, um, it wasn't a super attachment bonding, knock it out of the park generation. Right. <laughs> there was a lot of, you know, separation um, and a lot of go away and be quiet, seen and not heard. So a lot of us are walking around with perhaps the undercurrent uh, foundation that was set before we even have memories mm. um, of, of, you know, feeling a little bit lacking. So you're not alone, basically. Mm. But I wonder about as we, I, th- I think that we carry a lot of weight thinking, do I matter? Do I have a witness? Do I have somebody that sees me for who I am? And if there's all this, not just striving, but all of this wanting to have somebody in your life or to feel like you can take the backpack off, and just put the weight down and be yourself. We don't always feel that way. And I just wonder, you know, like, does that get better? Like, and, and so I was challenged when you were saying, 
It is about this driving. People assume that, you know, once you get there, you get there and then it gets easier. And I can't not think of that. I can't not think of that, whether it is a pillar, whether it is some type of validation, and that might be my own junk that I'm dealing with. It sure is, I'm sure. But I, I just, I'm, I'm pushing back on that and wonder what your thoughts are. No, that's fine. Yeah, and usually when you have a visceral response to something, it means you need to dig a little deeper. It doesn't mean anything wrong about you or anything wrong about me. It just means there's something there that we need to scratch a little deeper. Um, so if you're having that response, um, usually the answer to this yearning for belonging, even if you can check the boxes, like if you, you know, you're in this really loving relationship mm. or you know you have friends and you hang out with people, mm-hmm. but yet you still feel very empty or, mm. or still feel like it's never enough. It's like a restless. Yeah, it does yeah. feel like an empty pit. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the unfortunate part is you're missing out on the fact that you have these rich um, sources of love but you right. you are not you're trying to fill the wrong source mm. um and usually that source that you're trying to fill is the self-love source mm-hmm. and yes we're hearing a lot about self-care and self-love lately but i don't know that we're really walking people to from point a to point b so let's talk for a second about self-love and again i'm thinking about where does this break as a kid and so i'm watching you know, I, I, of course, have my own experience. And then I'm watching my kids who, you know, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and my six-year-old walks into any room like she owns it. And and, and not that she owns it like it's a, a braggadocious thing, just that she belongs wherever she is, which is beautiful to watch. And then when I watch it, I'm like, when is that going to, like, when does that separate when people feel what, when does the self-love part go away or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or when do, is it because of the validation of not being popular or not being liked by the boy that you might be crazy about? That's what I'm trying to figure out. The, tr- the truth is um, usually how that all kind of gets broken down is when frequently and consistently a child is separated from their, their intuition. And this is why I specialize so much in intuition because I can see how much it's at the root of everything. So what does that look like in real life is whenever a child advocates for themselves or they say a truth about themselves and adults immediately kind of swoop in and say, no, that is not accurate or no, that is not the truth. And a couple of ways that that might look is let's say there's a sketchy you know, uncle in the family or something. And he's creepy or he's, maybe he's an addict or maybe there's just something off about him, right? And the kids don't really want to be around him. The kids are pick. I'm, the child is thinking, I'm feeling something that tells mm. me to stay safe away from this person. But then all the adults around them are like, go give him a hug. No, don't talk about that. No, don't do that. You know, we don't talk about that. Or um, he's your uncle, you know, do it any, like hug anyway or hang out with him anyway or whatever it might be. Well, that says to the child, I had an icky feeling. My intuition told me something is Mm. off, but I'm being told that's incorrect. So my intuition must not be correct. Um, Another way is, you know, a child may say about themselves, like, I think I'm, I think I want to be an artist when I grow up or something like that. And this really gets trickier in the teens um, or those puberty years because they really. I want to play video games professionally, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. Okay. Use that as an example. They say, I want to play video games professionally. 
Well, what do the adults do? They tend to swoop in and be like, that's not a real profession. That's one in a million chance. You should do this instead. That's mm. that, you know, you're not going to make any money or you're not going to, you know, that's too competitive. You're not that good at it, whatever it might be. Then that tells, again, that is, I was listening to my intuition, but someone else came in that I trust, you know, and, and debunked that intuition. If that just sort of consistently happens, you stop trusting that little voice. You stop listening to it. And so that's where we really just start ignoring ourselves and neglecting ourselves. Hmm. So that is where we carry with us later on this undercurrent feeling of neglect. Even I if- knew you'd have an answer for that. <laughs> and I'm wondering, because I've, I've been seeing this a lot about don't make your kids hug whoever. Why do we, why, why not? And how do we socially make that acceptable when, you know, Uncle Jimmy comes in and he's fine, but the kid doesn't want to hug him because they're just not huggers? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, my suggestion is they don't do it, you know, and if you understand what's happening behind the scenes. What happens when you say, go make sure you hug grandma, go make sure you hug grandpa? And they don't want to. Yeah. Um, basically, you tell them is don't follow your intuition. Your intuition mm. is not valid. So you need to rely on me to tell you what's right and wrong or what's best for you or what's not best for you. Don't listen to your intuition. It's not good. Hmm. Um, and chances are it is good for some reason. I'm not saying Uncle Jimmy is like a child molester. Right, right. But he might be <laughs> sketch, you know, or he might be aggressive or he might just make them feel uncomfortable. Maybe he's just large in stature and that makes them feel like I need to keep myself safe. This person seems like really intimidating to me. Mm. And so you want them, we want them to do that when they go out in the world. You know, when they go out in the world, we don't understand why they're not advocating for themselves um, or why they let people treat them a certain way or why they do things. But it starts in those situations. And it, you know, as far as like, what do you do? Here's the big thing to think about. When you're in those moments and you don't want to look bad in front of family or you want to have a kid that hugs or a kid that well, acts right. There's just so right. many social expectations mm-hmm. that you wouldn't even think are detrimental <laughs> to a child's development. It, w- it would have never crossed my mind. One-time deal is not detrimental. We're talking about just kind of a consistent coming in and speaking for your child or telling mm. them what to do against what, what they feel is right for them, not letting them advocate for themselves consistently. So may, if you've made your child hug one person, in there, you know, or like, right. it's not the end of the world. But if you do that and you tell them, you know, stop doing that and don't wave like that and don't wear that and don't, you know, you do it about everything. Um, and... The deal is most of it is about your own insecurities. You don't want to look to your parents and family members like you're not a stern parent. You don't want to look to society like your kids run all over you or, you know, whatever it is you're doing is actually a burden. The burden is there. Mm. Are you going to take it or are you going to put it on the child? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So as you talk about, so let's say, the child is starting to learn or have it reinforced that their intuition, that their natural instincts are not, um, are not to be followed or that, you know, they need to kind of fall in line with whatever the social cultural norms are. And it does kind of fall on the lines of social identities and what, you know, what, what box are they going to fit into? But I wonder, you had talked about self-regulation and self-love 
What does that look like in your world? How would you define that? Um, basically that the source of love comes from you first. Um, I can describe this better if I explain a really good walking meditation that I did. Can mm, I do that? Please. Okay. Because this is, feels like a shortcut, but it's a little bit of a hippy-dippy story. <laughs> <laughs> but I do walking meditation, and, and I'm pretty aggressive with Like, I, I'm a serious meditator. You're an aggressive walking <laughs> meditator. <laughs> I don't play around. <laughs> I do it a lot, and I'm super serious about, like, this is important in my life. So one day I was doing one. I was I was actually grieving the loss of someone important in my life. And I knew I was just going in the woods to say, just what do I need? I just feel so like my, my parental love is now gone, you know, and, and I, I'm a, how am I going to feel like an orphan forever? You know, like I'm an adult mm. woman. What am I going to do? I'm going to keep loving people and they're going to keep dying, basically. And I went into the woods like, what do I do with this? You know, here I'm helping people. I feel like a fraud. What is the point of life? You know, what is the mm. point of all this? And so I was walking along, and all of a sudden, um, I could see it. I could see love. I was walking by this stream, and all along the stream were all these different plants and trees that were growing, like, right on the edge of the stream. And the stream was running through. And all of a sudden, I could see love. I could see how it worked. And I could see how each plant took the water from the stream up to itself first, whatever it needed. It did not shy away from taking it for itself. And then whatever it didn't need, it passed along. Hmm. And all of a sudden I could see that is how love is supposed to work. We have to, it has to come from within. We have to take from within. It originates with us, our love, and then we extend it outward to others. And if we want to plug into others for love when we need it, that's okay. But when they unplug, when they die, when they leave us, when they aren't our friend anymore, that's okay because our main source of love is coming from within us. Does that make sense? It does. And it's a beautiful metaphor too. But how do you do that <laughs> when you're not used to doing that? I'm asking for a friend, of course. <laughs> of course. Of I'm course. asking for the millions of listeners <laughs> who are hanging on every word of yours. Oh, well, hopefully. Or hopefully not. Um, hopefully, yes. <laughs> the truth is I have, had, I have lived a life of zero self-love, of definitely trying to earn my right to be loved constantly. So I'm not just sitting here preaching this like um, I have not lived living without self-love. None. And so what I learned is how it starts is so small. So you're not just going to wake up. You're not going to go pamper yourself and love yourself more. In fact, you're probably going to go pamper yourself and then feel guilty that you did that. That's and, me. Right. All yeah. day. So no, that's not how it works. It has to start very small and you have to just listen to yourself in the smallest way that does not, that feels like it pushes you. It's something you don't currently do, but it doesn't overwhelm you. And so for me, um, two of the examples that, that are weird, but they worked for me as the beginning of self-love. One was when asked what I want to eat, which was a terrifying question for me. Why? I don't, I would rather someone else decide. I don't know. And I can't ever decide. Huh. And it's a whole thing of what, do, where do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? I never can answer. Do you but feel I, like it's because you don't want to make decisions or be responsible for it? Yeah. I definitely think, who am I? I can't make any right decisions. But if you can't decide what to eat, mm -hmm. you don't know what you're doing with your life, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and plus, I just would leave that to someone else. And I could always make myself smaller mm. for other people's needs. So what do I want? Well, if you want tacos, I can make myself want tacos. If you want pizza, I can make myself want pizza. 
Um, but, but that's cool when it's uh, conscious mm. and I'm doing that because I have that grace to give. It's not cool when you're just doing that because you think I don't deserve to say what I want to eat. And I'm doing it to earn love, to be less of a problem for people, mm. you know? Yes. So that everybody can love me more easily because I'm such a burden, you know? So I started saying to myself, okay, I'm just going to say the first picture of food that comes in my mind. I'm not going to think about it, just like the first restaurant that pops in my head or whatever. Um, and so I started doing that and like the world did not fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ran. <laughs> we didn't like die hills. from food poisoning. Right. Or, like <laughs> Nothing happened. Um, and, and, and also it was really nice to see that my husband didn't stop loving me, you know, because he had to eat too many tacos, <laughs> you know, he, he didn't care. And then, um, so it starts like that, these little things. I, another thing was what to wear, like the type of weather I would dress for. I'm, I'm naturally very cold. So I would put on, you know, a, a snowsuit, you know, to go out maybe like 40 degree weather and so I started saying, like, whatever you think of, of however warm you want to dress, you're just going to do that instead of looking weird in that jacket or whatever it might be. So I just started doing that. But those little, those actually really were the first steps that mm. I took. And now I just ask for whatever I want, whenever I want it. I love everything I do that's annoying before. I'm like, that's cute. You know, like, look at you, Cindy. Like, you're people pleasing. What are you doing? Like, it's, I'm just so much more kind and compassionate towards myself but you can't just do that like at overnight so that's that's my it example is a process mm -hmm. and I think even knowing you I think for two years now and when I'm like to watch you transform of somebody that I would even push on you where I'm like why did you just say that about yourself you know <laughs> and you you have kind of stepped into your own confidence because you leaned way into what you loved to learn about. And um, it's been really fun to watch. And it's been an example for me to see you, you know, like when I see people that are, the word that comes to my mind is not the right word, but I'm thinking like bumbling, meaning meaning you're, tr you're trying to find, you know it's out there, you know it's close, what you want to do, where you should be doing. And so I, I'm, again, bumbling is not the right word, but it, it's, you're just kind of figuring out and putting your hands wherever you can and figuring out where does it feel right. And the moment you said, even though I don't have, you know, the letters after your name or whatever it was, I know you were frustrated with people um, not taking you seriously in the beginning because of, you know, whatever it was. And then you started leaning into it and creating a whole world for yourself. That's when everything opened up where you're like, you can't, to me, in the way that you position yourself, at least online, is you can't back down if there's something that you've got better data or better science or better, uh, a, a better explanation for that you can't back down and say, I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm talking about. You're like, no, this is how it should be. It's a really powerful way to be. <laughs> it's been really fun to watch you <laughs> bloom in that way. <laughs> It's it's been fun for me too. Actually, I feel I feel free, and I'm actually the same ca caring, thoughtful person. I still care about all the same things, but I'm just not steeped in self hatred. 
so while everything stayed the same I, you know my husband still loves me just as much and my passions have stayed the same the mission of the kid factory really stayed the same but um it's not out of obligation anymore I felt like I definitely had to earn my keep to be loved or earn my keep to be worth staying in this world and I just don't feel that anymore I do it because I want to and it turns out I want all the same things but I just uh, felt like I had to before but I'll circle to something you just said um, it, which is a little trick it's a little moment for you when you said you said bumbling it's not the word and you were persistent on that not being the word and then you go on to describe what you're trying to say and I said you're it again saying, but you're saying <laughs> bumbling bumbling is the right word so I just want you to notice that you have the answer all along. You said from the very beginning, bumbling. That's the perfect word. Somebody's bumbling around <laughs> and, and not knowing what they're doing. That's perfectly articulated. But that's an example of where you, if, you know, you said this question was for a friend, in case that friend was you, mm -hmm. that's an example of that, is that you go, that's the word coming to my mind, therefore that's the right word. That is a really powerful way. And it is a perfect example of how Cindy cannot back down if there's something that needs to be reframed. <laughs> Here we are full circle. Sorry. <laughs> Don't apologize. It's all good. Um, I, but I do wonder about, you know, as you had, you had said something. Now, again, this is like, I, I know you personally, and you've talked a lot about You've said over and over, I have done the work. I have done the work. And you've had a really, a really incredible background. What did the work look like for you? You've come a long way. Oh, yeah. You mean like from the beginning or? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean that, you know, you have, we've talked about through this conversation that it doesn't happen overnight. There are baby steps. There are little things that you do. And you had beautifully illustrated some ways of leaning into your intuition by choosing food and not letting other people choose it for you. What did the work look like as, as these things unfold? As you're trying to figure out what does self-love look like? How can I practice this on a regular basis? How can I incorporate this into my life where my intuition is clear and I'm not polling everybody else to try and figure out what is the answer because I obviously am a screw up and can't figure out how to do this right <laughs> yeah and the funny thing and it's important to note because if anyone that this resonates with is listening this is probably going to catch more of their attention than having a self-love podcast um my intention was not to start loving myself. <laughs> mm. My intention on starting the journey was to just not hate myself so much, like to just not be riddled with every decision that I made and just not have to do the two hour plus rumination every night before bed. So I wasn't on a self-love journey. I was not thinking that was in the cards. I definitely thought people could experience a certain amount of trauma or damage or whatever it is that they um that that just wasn't gonna be them and I was really content with that I was actually cool with not being all self-lovey and just thought that information is not really for me and that's why I really like to when I say walk people to that point that's what I mean because I was definitely under the impression when people spoke about self-love I felt excluded from that conversation and so hmm. 
that isn't what it looks like. So the journey to self-love, you might not even realize that's the journey you're on. You might just be wanting to not hate yourself or at least to just cut down on some of that rumination or, um, you know, have, you know, not feel guilty about everything you do and, and inadequate at everything you do. And so it, it's, that's why it starts with these little small pieces. It's just like, I've got to at least just not hate myself for the restaurant choice, right? I've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> that's really, you know, <laughs> that seems kind of liberating. <laughs> Have you seen the, the, um, I think it's on Apple TV, the show Physical? No, but I heard it's about on it? my list to watch. Have you heard about it? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's set in the eighties and Rose Byrne is this, you know, disgruntled housewife and, um, the, the real narrative of the show is her inner voice hating on herself. Like you fat <laughs> fuck. Why did you put that in your mouth? You know, like it's so bad, but you hear it and you cringe, but you hear yourself because you've, we've all done it, you know, like to some, to some degree. And I, I remember being really just unsettled hearing her say these awful things about herself. And then that whole next day I'd go around and you hear myself, you know, like pass a mirror and go, God, you look old. And I'm like, what the, ah!" you know, (laughs) it's terrible that things that we do to ourselves, I think there's so much training that we need to be actively aware of to kind of shut that voice down a little bit, or at least reprogram that voice. Would you say that is a fair statement? Is reprogramming the right word? Oh yeah. You're literally retraining your brain. So just to give a little bit of my, you know, I love my brain science. (laughs) What's happening when we ruminate, when we um, overthink, which is ultimately what you're doing. The truth is you do already belong. Mm -hmm. So let's be clear about that. And probably most people listening to this already belong to a group. But it's that sort of emptiness feeling that you're stuck in. Not so much that you're not going to achieve your way out of it. Mm -hmm. For other people, achievements might look like, you know, getting that job or whatever. Or it might be getting a certain number of friends or certain, you know, they have to meet a certain uh, milestones of closeness to prove that they're close friends. Mm. You you already belong. Um, So, But your brain is stuck in this pattern of it ruminates or uh, whatever it is. The negative self-talk that it does. You're, you walked by the mirror, you said the ugly thing to yourself, well, you survived that day, correct? Like, yeah, I guess. you lived. So then your brain is like, this is, this keeps her alive. <laughs> like, she needs me to remind her how ugly she is whenever she walks <laughs> past the mirror, because that's keeping her on track. Like, it's like she, feeding a you're, cockroach. You're rewarding that, that yeah. neural pathway that formed, who knows when, childhood most likely. Um, that said, you need to hold yourself to this standard, white knuckle style, you know, so if you're very critical of yourself, that'll keep you in line, that'll keep you acting right, that'll keep you achieving or being professional or just not going off the rails. So every day that you don't go off the rails, you have, again, reaffirmed to that neural pathway, this works, you know, this plan worked, I again didn't derail, so mm. you you telling me that I'm hideous in the mirror, it's working, so that's a neural pathway that fires and wires and it works. Um, but that's to rewire it. We have to start first noticing that is a neural pathway. That is a pattern that when your body encounters a mirror, it sees ugly. It reports back to you. This is ugly. And then you continue to live on another day. So it continues to be rewarded of, oh, yes, you're right. That I am ugly. I should do something about that. <laughs> well, if you stop I've gone down that path. <laughs> yeah. If you stop in the mirror though, and if now today you realize that's a neural pathway, 
You go by the mirror, the same thought. And instead of going, oh, God, you're right. Ooh, or let me fix this or fix that. Because the brain thinks I'm warning you, fix yourself or everybody's going to hate you. But if you look at it, instead of fixing yourself, you go, oh, that's that intrusive thought. That's that neural pathway coming in. Um, oh, yeah, that's what's happening right now. I'm going to just skip the whole next step for now and see if I live another day. Mm. See if people still show up. See if everybody still <laughs> loves me. You know, Does everything still work if I don't? engage in that thought and then you wake up the next day and, and you train your brain slowly to go okay so we didn't need the whole mirror hatred conversation okay you know and then it does open your brain up to what other terrible things yeah you notice you start noticing <laughs> might I be saying to myself that aren't useful as well so you see people in uh in in sessions you have personal one-on-ones where I don't how would you describe it um, of the work that you do one-on-one. Yes. So it, it's so tailored to each person. But for the for the most part, it's heavy in science first. So first people know, need to know the machine that is their body. So first I find out what's going on with you. And then I explain that on a physiological level. You know, like where is this happening in the brain? What is that telling the body? Kind of a sample of what I had just said to you, like explaining what's going on in there. And then once people kind of feel like, oh, I have a roadmap of who I am, then um, going from there, I often use a lot of guided meditation, which really kind of puts people in a subconscious state and allows them to connect with their intuition a little more easily. Um, so they don't have all that conscious thought kind of floating around and preventing them from speaking to that intuition. And, and then we just kind of go from there. But I do a lot of walk and talk. I'm outdoors a whole lot. I just think everything fires better. When you're outside, when you're moving, when you're in nature. So walk and talk, guided meditation, almost anything except straight up sitting on a couch and talking about your problems and your, your childhood and every bad thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> it's, an interesting, uh, uh, it's an interesting way to describe it. I'm curious as to what you hear. What has been a pattern that you hear of people coming to you? Like what do you, what do you find yourself saying over and over to help people? I think the biggest thing for people is they thought, you know, I'm not a licensed therapist, I'm a certified coach, but they thought therapy, coaching, whatever, meant that they had to go back and relive everything and connect all the dots and, and that, that they couldn't heal without that. And so I think they realized that it's so much simpler, simple but hard is what I say all the time, that healing is so much more simple then you realize, but it is also very hard. So it's hard work, but very simple. And I hear that a lot is they're like, oh my God, this is so simple. Why did I need you to do this? Like, why wasn't this more obvious to me? I hear that a lot. And um, also just that, that connection, the mind-body connection for people. Um, do you think people are really disconnected from their bodies? Like completely, completely. It's a thing. And then we're taking these disconnected people and, and telling them to raise other humans. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah. People are so disconnected. All these little things that if you go back to how they're talking to themselves and, you know, this whole thing about where does this come from? And so often it comes from this really sweet kid, you know, who, who did know what was best or who was making a very honest mistake and was just given no grace. And they just took that and ran with it. And so, yeah, they've 
become completely disconnected. So anecdotally here, so I had um, finished the sex mini series, um, which was so interesting on so many different levels. But what was really interesting were how many people reached out to me and said, you know, I feel like I've been going through the motions with my husband that I just never feel like it. Or, you know, we, we just have kind of taken it off the table. And so many times it was because they, it wasn't that the act or that their husband or their partner was bothering them. It was that their body was bothering them. And just the re, like literal reconnection to your body, to your senses, to forgiving your body or loving your body, despite whatever changes it went. But it, it was it was really viscerally deep of people recognizing that it, it, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with their partner or the situation that they were in, but how they felt about their body. Yeah. That's not surprising. Cause that's the same, that sort of sense of belonging or not belonging usually is residing within the person. It's mm. the perception of the person of not belonging. Um, because they've just decided that they don't belong and they don't realize that, that they have decided that. Um, so yeah, that it, it makes a lot of sense because the same way that you said um, they, it wasn't about the partner. It's not about the people in your life, that sense of belonging. It's about your feeling worth belonging to that. I always mm. say you cannot accept more love than you're willing to give yourself because you got this bodyguard of love, you know, so... Mm. Say it again, Cindy. <laughs> you will not accept more love than you're willing to give yourself. I like the bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you think about it. Someone extends love towards you. Mm. I think you have a lot of people who love you. They show that love towards you. But if you've decided you're not worth that amount of love, right? It's not you're coming keeping in. them at a distance, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. It flows right off you and you got to hear it again the next day mm -hmm. or the next hour. It's an empty bottomless pin. <laughs> so what does, what in your, in your experience, what does awakening, reconnecting look like? For me, it was slowly allowing myself to give myself the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I, I see that that's very common for clients as well. So I think it's more than just a thing with me, an anecdotal situation. Um, but what that would look like personally would be um, having a thing of those cringe moments. And I've had plenty <laughs> from my teen and early 20s. I did a lot of self-destructing. And I definitely thought those would always haunt me. Those were definite signals of being a bad person or whatever you needed. Whatever you could call it, I would call it. And then starting to see it compassionately and starting to see it like, oh, it all just makes sense. Of course you did that. Of course you mm. um, hmm. you made that choice. So all those little, like just going back and as things resurface, extending compassion, always thinking of how can I be compassionate? And it would be hard sometimes, you know, but it, it becomes a habit and then you can't stop. And then you advocate for yourself because you're compassionate. I'm ADHD. I don't operate on a nine to five optimal five days a week level. 
And I used to never let myself sit down during the day. I would, I would be like, you, you got to be productive. You got to do stuff. You got to earn that keep. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I started resting whenever I wanted to or just chilling whenever I wanted to. And, you know, my husband, he doesn't even mean anything. He's going to make fun of me. We already make fun <laughs> of sarcastic family. So he'll, you know, come make some sort of comment about, oh, you know, you're taking a vacation or something like that while I'm sitting down. And I'm like... I, this is my body wants to relax right now. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. This is I what do my what body, I want. Yeah, this, my body <laughs> said, chill out. What are you doing? You know? So what is the difference between compassion and making excuses? Mm, for people who are listening to this, bet on compassion. Hmm. Nobody's making excuses. Laziness does not exist. There is always a reason for it. Your body is telling you something always. Listen to it. Believe yourself first. See if the world falls apart. Hmm. So just say, all right, maybe I am making excuses. But let me just keep making excuses. I'm doing air quotes. And see what happens. Because the people who are listening to this content and then sucking this in, they are holding themselves to such a standard that I can guarantee you that it's okay to just let yourself go willy-nilly because you being willy-nilly is just going to be extending compassion and still being what everybody needs you to be, who you truly love and care about in your life. You are dropping some bombs. What do you know <laughs> that you, this is like mic drops. What do you know that you wish other people could know as it relates to belonging? Just, they, they already do. Mm. I know they already do. That community is there, and it's either they think that that's not the right community to be in, you know, and they're rejecting and wanting to be a different kind of person who would be in a different kind of community, so not appreciating the people who are in their life, or they totally belong with all the right people and they love them to death, but it feels, like you said before, bottomless pit. But that's where that whole, like, practicing that self-love or non-self-hatred, start out calling it that, um, and then you're going to, then you let it in, and then you feel worthy of it, and... It's, a, it's about belonging, but you already do. This isn't a how to belong. It's a how to realize that you already do. That is so freaking powerful. <laughs> I have never, ever heard it positioned like that. Really? Cindy Robinson on the Culture Changers podcast. You hear, heard it here first, co-host. First, <laughs> guest co-host. First time ever said. First, <laughs> first time guest co-host. Uh, coming back next time. <laughs> How can people get in touch with you, Cindy? How could people work with you? You have a couple of different ways. Yeah, um, you can see me individually for coaching. Um, my website is everything is on thekidfactory.org. So you can go there and you can see um, under the healing tabs all about my individual coaching. You can follow on Instagram at the underscore kid underscore factory. And that's where, you know, I try to share a lot there. I feel like it's not just like a cutesy, it's not even that pretty of an Instagram, but the information is Oh, it's is awesome. There. It's me. Everyone, I'm like, huh. And you're so creative too. So you do all those drawings, all the illustrations. That's you, isn't it? It is. It's amazing. Well, thanks for being my very first guest co-host and third time appearance on Culture Changers. When it gets to five, I will get you a robe. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yes, SNL. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Cindy.
Cindy, you are probably my favorite person to talk to about real issues because you always have a refreshing, modern approach and always make me think more critically about about it all. You, you've almost always changed my mind. If you'd like to connect with Cindy or work with her directly, I've linked her info in the show notes. If you want to connect with me directly, and you should, Go to allisonhair.com and sign up for my emails or shoot me a DM on the socials. Everything is linked in the show notes. Or if you really want to give me a great birthday present, it is, uh, it's, it's in the end of October. Text this episode to two or three of your friends. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.